Speak softly loud and hold me warm against your heart. I hear your words, the tender trembling. Welcome, everybody, and it's another episode of Hollywood Godfather Podcast with my co writer, fortunately, Pat Picciarelli. How are you? And a millennium. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Megan Horan. Hey. Yes. Oh my gosh, that was perfect. I, pronounced it. I was practicing before you went on. <laughs> that was beautiful. Music to my ears. I love it. Right. How are we doing, guys? Very, very really good. Really good. And I'm excited about a lot of stuff that's happening for all of us, which we will let our listeners know gradually as it. Uh, progresses and sign contracts, but we're all good. All good. So tonight, Pat has a, a a special investigative type story that he we were all a part of indirectly and directly. But him being a police officer, he can go into detail as if he's doing an episode of Law and Order. Oh. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Take it away, Pat. Okay. Uh, there was a time in mob history in the 70s, the early 70s, uh, where there was a lot of turmoil uh, with the banana crime family. And what I'm going to start to talk about, and Johnny will uh, pick up because he has uh, some personal knowledge and interaction with the principal, Joe Bonanno, is a convoluted story of how family relationships can screw everything up, which we know not only in organized crime annals, but in real life. How about my yeah. life and all my kids and all their hey, mothers? Well, even, you know, even, <laughs> uh, even arguing at, at, at the Thanksgiving table, you know, it just screws up everything. Oh, tell but me. A major screw up, which led to a shootout, which went down in the annals of organized crime as the wildest, biggest shootout in mafia history that not many people are even aware of. So, we will begin with a character by the name of uh, Gaspard Di Gregorio, who was one of Joe Bonanno's closest friends. He was the best yeah. man, wasn't he, too, to him? Pardon me? Wasn't he his best man? I was just getting to that. Oh. You were in mind. <laughs> I know best man at, He was the best man at his wedding in 1931. Yeah. This is basically the inception of the mob as we know it. And Joe Bonanno was uh, one of the principals that organized organized crime. Well, we talked about that in the past. Now, a cousin named Stefano Magadino was also a relative of Joe's. He was another cousin. So he got uh, Di Gregorio and Magadino, two cousins of, uh, of, of uh, what was a friend that was Gregorio and Magadino was a cousin. Well, Magadino, that, that family originated in Buffalo when they settled. And they had yeah, a big, right. big now, crime family. Uh, I know uh, them all. Gregorio would marry Maria. Everybody's listening to this. There's going to be a test. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Connect oh, the <no>. dots. <laughs> Uh-oh. Gregorio. It's going to be multiple choice. Everybody should do well. Uh, anyway, uh, guess Buddy Gregorio would marry Maria Magadino, who was the sister of of uh, S uh, Stefano Magadino, who was Joe Bonanno's cousin. All right, so the families are intermarrying here like cocker spaniels. All right, uh, uh, she didn't last very long. She died in 1927 at the age of uh, of 23. Natural causes at 23. Yeah, she had pneumonia or something. You know, in those days, you caught a cold, you were dead. Really? In the 70s? No, this is 1930. Oh, uh, oh okay. All right. 1927. Oh, okay. This, this is uh, trying to explain clearly as I could. You're giving uh, us, you're giving us the family tree. Yes, yes, because the family is very much involved in, in this craziness. So in, in uh, uh, 1931, Gregorio now, in addition to being the best man at Joe Bonanno's wedding, becomes his very best friend and the godfather to Joe Bonanno's first son, whose name was Salvatore, and naturally they called him Bill. Yeah, I know, that's, ain't that wild? <laughs> Makes right. absolutely no sense, 
<laughs> half of this story. But the the funniest thing about that, he looks more like a Bill than the Salvatore. Because he you, looks like a C, he looks like a CPA. I know. I mean, he's so. When I met him, for I knew about him, and he, his father made him early on in life, like so many fathers do. I don't know why they, they bring their sons into this, but I had the privilege later on meeting with him in Tucson, which we'll get into. And when I met the guy, I said, "Was this guy trying to be John Wayne? He had cowboy boots. He's like six. Oh, he was in Arizona. Yeah, yeah. fit in. But, but he looked like a a, a Westerner." Yeah, well, I, he's a college-educated guy, uh, but uh, his father brought him brought him in as his consigliere. Right off, the, you know, I mean, that's for those of you who don't know what that is. That's a counselor who is a uh, a person who has been involved in the life all his life. It's usually an older person who was looked upon for sage advice. And so, what do they do? They get a guy fresh out of college and they make him the number three man. In the Bonanno crime family, just goes to show you how they were organized. I know. Hey, so uh, after Salvatore Maranzano was killed in his office in 1931, uh, Joe appointed uh, Di Gregorio as one of his captains uh, and set him up with his own crew. So this is when organized crime is now organized crime. There are there are five families. The uh, Colombo family back then was known as the Profaci family, and we'll, we'll get into that shortly. Uh, Di Gregorio now uh, was a major criminal, never convicted of anything, or as he would say later on, I am a man of no convictions. Never think about that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I got to use that. I like that. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, actually, it's, it's actually, very, I, very generic. You can get away with a lot of I just made that up, but I thought it was funny. Anyway. <laughs> uh, Joe Bonanno didn't think very much of his uh of his second in command his best friend his best man he called him at one time and i'm quoting here uh as most deficient in leadership qualities let's make him a boss okay <laughs> he's the captain of his own crew he also said uh that he was too slow of thought and ineffectual let's give that man a promotion okay so uh Di Gregorio was known as uh, uh, a guy that didn't have the stomach for violence. He was a, he was a peace-loving thug, if that makes any sense. So far, he has no qualifications even being a Boy Scout. <laughs> None at all. None at all. So let's make, him, let's make him the captain of his own crew and screw everything up, which is what he did. Anyway, so a conflict involving the Bonanno crime family uh, with other gangsters, which was known as, you ready for this? I didn't make this up. The banana split. I love it, man. <laughs> Are you kidding? I thought you definitely... No, that's what they called you sent me those they... notes, I thought you definitely made that up. <laughs> I, didn't, I, 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 I can't claim credit for that. That was uh, actual, actually what they called it. Anyway, Joe Bonanno in 1963, for some unknown reason, applies for Canadian citizenship. Uh... And Magadino uh, uh, came to believe that his cousin was making a move on the upstate New York faction of the mob because it borders Canada. So to their way of thinking... Well, that's where Magadino was, a boss in Buffalo. That's why. Yeah, well, that's right on the border there. Hello. So yep. the way they think is, well, Joe Bonanno must be getting Canadian citizenship to take us over in Buffalo. Does that make any sense to you? Because it yeah, makes no it does. sense. It really does because no, so, so Magadino's crew, one of his biggest crew and bigger earning crew, was in Canada. Well, yeah. a lot, whatever a lot of the listeners don't know, a lot of Italians as they migrated to America, some of them came from Canada, and then when they got to Canada, they never came across the border because they could operate on both borders without being they, so scrutinized by the American government. And th they were a lot less scrutinized in Canada. That they got away literally with murder years. Oh, I know. That's what I'm saying. That's why they did it. But Mac Magadino, I know the Magadinos really well. In fact, some of the kids are still alive. Well, so the story goes. Yeah, his, his family is still around. But uh, Joe, Joe Banana had his sights set on becoming the boss of New York's uh, mafia. And to achieve this, he had to get rid of uh, Carlo Gambino and Tommy Lucchese. Yeah, okay. that's, that's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's going to happen tomorrow. This guy can't even control his own family. 
So uh, uh, along with cousin uh, uh, Magadino and the boss of the mafia family, Frank Simone. So he wanted his cousin Wack too. And the boss, if there was an organized crime, you know, uh, a functional organized crime family in LA at the time, which I doubt, but they, they became powerful, more powerful a little later when the movie business got, got stronger. Because they, you're still talking the silent, uh, uh, silent movie era here. They're just coming out of the silence. You know, Hollywood wasn't as big as it became in the late 30s and 40s. But anyway, he wants to kill everybody. He wants to kill Gambino, Lucchese, uh, his cousin, uh, Magadino, and uh, the boss of the Los Angeles Mafia family, or somebody very high up in that uh, in that crew, Frank D. Simone. Uh, yeah, well, Drager took over after Frankie. After, yeah, yeah. After the uh, whole fiasco of bombing... Uh, um, Mickey Cohen's house, that's another whole thing. I know. <laughs> where, where he got, you know, he must have been extremely power hungry. So he, he comes up with this other un unbelievable idea. He's going to have Joe Colombo. He hires uh, Joe Colombo, who was a captain under Profaci, who uh, uh, Bernardo wanted to overthrow. He hires Colombo to do all these hits. And what does Colombo do? I'll leave that to you, Johnny. Well, I know what he did. Thank God he did, because, you know, uh, he goes to Gambino. Ratted him out. And, <laughs> and said, this is what's happening. And Gambino gave him the contract and said, listen, you take care of Papachi, which he didn't have to do because he died of natural causes. And if this is all resolved, we will give you the Papachi family. And now it's called the Colombo family. And for our listeners who know my history, if it wasn't for Joe Colombo, and I have to say it openly, I owe him the credit. We made the deal. I wouldn't have been in the movie The Godfather because he this was the one that called, got, got it pulled this, and did it all. This would have been called Johnny Russo's podcast. <laughs> I don't want to call it now. Yeah, he was very influential in your life, obviously. Oh, but no, yep. did the strategically correct thing. He was taking uh, a, a plan that had no way of resolving itself by whacking all these people. This isn't the movie The Godfather where they kill uh, the heads of the five families all in a space of 10 minutes. You while they're christening my baby. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was silly. So he, he, he does the right thing by, uh, by, by turning on uh, Joe Bonanno and his plan. Uh, but let me ask you this. This is something I'm not privy to. This is why I'm asking a question. Did, what was his rep, what was Colombo's reputation like for the rest of his life once he did that? Well, the the, the first problem with when in the using the, the reference in the Godfather movie, the Bonanno family, as I know it, was the family that was trying to introduce the drugs, and that's the, why the Gambino character played by Marlon Brando, they said we stay out of the drugs. Because that's they'd lose all their power politically, and which was true. Okay. But the problem that Bonanno had was that he was such a big earner. Sicily wouldn't let them kill him. I don't know if you knew that. No. Sicily, because they had to go to the commission, and the commission said, "What this guy earns, he stays." They gave him an ultimatum. Go back to Sicily and run your family from there, which some people have done in the past, and or go to Arizona. And he went to Tucson, Arizona. I mean, I don't know how many people have tra traveled to Arizona. Tucson is the armpit of Arizona. I mean, but before, but, but before he wound up there, he, he had a lot of adventures here. But my, my question to you is: in an organization that prides itself. At the time, specifically, because nobody nobody flipped, nobody talked, nobody ratted until Joe Valachi comes along in 1964. So he basically ratted out uh, Joe Bonanno for a good cause. He wanted to save uh, some lives here and increase his power. My question to you is, what what was his reputation, Columbus' reputation after that? Was what, was was he considered? No, he was honored. Okay. Oh, the reason, the reason why he was so revered, the Gambino family had like 2,000 members. 
I mean, they had 150 major guys, and they, I mean, they were major earners. They controlled all the peers, not just in New York City and New Jersey, but everywhere. So, I mean, that's why the Gambino family is was the head of the five families. And they still they were, are. They're the biggest family out of the five. Yeah, still now, yeah. Yeah. Well, that doesn't say. So, that. so he, he he wasn't he he wasn't talked about be, behind his back that he was a rat. No, no, no. Okay. no. That's the question. No, the question okay. because for, the people they were already being turned off by getting involved in drugs, and that's what Bonanno wanted to do and did. And then you got Pofacci, who was getting older, and what I know of Pofacci, I mean, I know I know John, his son, and. All, all his grandsons. In fact, I went into business with them, with Calavita. Calavita is their brand still, and it's worth fortunes. They sold it off recently. But he, uh, yeah, okay. All the Calavita brands, everything on the shelves. Yeah, that's them in Sicily, and but basically, Joe Pavacci was such a gentleman, and not not really a. a, a into violent. His thing was like they gave him a family. He took it, and early on, they did well. And I, I think they were even divided as far as the drugs go, because you know Joe Pavacci was a, a, a an amazing family man. I mean, I know the whole, all the grandkids and everybody. They they still live on Staten Island. In fact, John and Connie, his wife, just moved to New Jersey now. John is in his eighties, and. Um, but, uh, you know, so that's, it was the end of the Pavachi family, it becomes the Colombo family. And Colombo was very aggressive and a big earner already. And so, okay. you know. All right. All right. Well, so he cemented his, his reputation and his place uh, as the, the, the head of one of the five families. That's what I was unsure of. But mm. so, uh, as you said, uh, uh, Pavachi dies in June of 1962 of natural causes. Which doesn't happen a lot in that business. Right. Gambino and Lucchese, who were who were targets of of Joe Bonanno, who were also close personal friends uh, related by the marriages of their children. Yeah, let me interrupt. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because Tommy Gambino married Lucchese's daughter. See, yeah, so, so those old. two families were so powerful now. It's like you know. <laughs> you, you wonder if the, these marriages were set up to uh, to. To, to garner and, and cement power. No, you know what it was, and I, I'm a victim of that. I mean, it's, it's ironic so many things you brought up that I became part of. There were mushads. I had a mushad. My grandmother set my grandfather set me up to marry this woman, who's uh, for names I don't want to mention because they're still around. Her father was a was, was a Gambino and a boss and had his own crew. So wow. it's, it's something you're thrown into. So, you know, at 15, now we start having Sunday dinners every other Sunday. I'm with her family and the other Sunday I'm there. And, you know, I'm saying to myself, you know, I was all over the street already. And it didn't mean nothing to me because I thought it would never happen. It was, I, in fact, I went to Gambino when they set a date for me to get married. How old were you? I was 18. Oh. <laughs> and she was 17. I said, wait a minute. <laughs> and I said to the old man, I said, this is barbaric. He said, what'd you say? I said, this is barbaric. He said, no, this is Sicilian. <laughs> and you're doing it. And I did it. You know, think of what would have happened to you had your life would have gone in a different direction had you have done that. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't know what, no, I don't know about that. I mean, I don't think I could have not done it. That's why I did it. Only lasted 90 days. But uh, I did it. And then her father was found mysteriously killed. And, you know, it was just uh, a mystery of life, I guess. <laughs> anyway, uh, on with this, this weird story. Uh, uh, Gambino and Lucchese summoned Joe Bonanno to a meeting. And Joe, who basically, it's a, it's a, it's a major slight, he doesn't show up. Of course. Because uh, he would have never got out. Bonanno, in, in, in the meantime, after he decided he wasn't going to go, he, he, uh, he uh, uh, promotes his son, Bill, uh, into the position of... As acting uh, boss. Now, this is going to be a wartime consigliere. 
<laughs> the guy, the, the guy, the closest this guy ever got to war was watching uh, war movies. I mean, how do you do that? You know, what I mean, it's, to be a wartime consigliere is an honor because you you already made your bones. You already to, ran a crew. Yeah, we've been running a crew, and all he's building. Yeah, I mean, you've been to a couple of wars yourself, and when you know you talk about uh, gangland wars, these are real wars with real strategy. You know, I mean, you have to know what you're doing. You just don't walk down the street. It is Joe. Let's kill him. I mean, these are these are organized. Uh, you know, you're, you're fighting for something. So they appoint this college boy as as the counselor, the the, the consigliere. Uh, De Gregorio was pissed off because he wanted the position. Oh yeah, they were all slighted, and he, he probably deserved the position. Uh, so. Uh, the family underboss was a guy named Joe Morales. Did you ever hear of him? No. Yeah, that's a Hispanic name. I, I never knew any, that much about the Bonanno family, which I, what I think is interesting to me is that in my, well, 30, 40 years ago, I was still bringing envelopes to him in Tucson until he died. And, oh, hey. from, well, from, from the commission. And I hated that ride. I have to land in Arizona or drive in from California, and drive an hour or two from out of Phoenix to Tucson. And you're talking about 120 degree weather. There's nothing out there. Just, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, well, all these events are taking place. All this turmoil, all these plans and counter plans and backstabbing. On October 20th, 1964, Joe Bernal is just walking down the street minding his own business on Park Avenue in broad daylight. And he gets snatched off the street. He gets kidnapped, supposedly. That's by what a couple. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> and, but think, think about this. What an opportune time to get kidnapped. You couldn't have done it better if you planned it yourself. So now everybody's looking for this guy. The word is he's dead. He's alive. They, they spotted him all over the world. 19 months go by. And he, Joe Bonanno, marches into a courthouse in Brooklyn in the Southern District and says, I understand you guys are looking for me. Like, what happened? I mean, this this sounds like a bad gangster movie. It sounds something like that, uh, um, what's that, what's that uh, Shaw would say he did in Rome. Well, well, the gangster couldn't shoot straight. Yeah. I was thinking while I was researching this, if I did a book proposal on this, they would burn it. You throw it out. <laughs> Makes absolutely no sense, and it's never going to sell. But this is this is real life. Uh, anyway, uh, now now he's 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 back in the street. It's th these are these are old investigations. Nineteen months go by. The grand jury collapses. Now comes the shootout, which is what this episode is about. Uh, they they invite. Bill Bonanno, Frank Labruzzi, and a guy named Joe Nataro. You know these guys? I know Joe Tataro. I know the name Joe Tataro. I don't know. Okay. They figured uh let's uh, we'll we'll invite these guys and bring and 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 have Bonanno's son come to the meeting. To me, it's it's a setup for assassination, but they decide they're gonna go anyway. Yeah. Because they they let Bill Bonanno choose the meeting place which was on uh, uh, Troutman Street, and it was a, a relative of, of the Bananos. They figured they're safe inside where they're gonna have the meeting, which is true. But what about when you're walking to the meeting? Which is what happened. They thought they were slick, and they parked their car three blocks away from the meeting, and decided to sneak up on Troutman Street. If you know anything <laughs> about <laughs> If you know anything about the area at night, these areas are deserted. You got three guys walking down the street, and there were eight gunmen at least waiting in ambush. And this is how Bill Bonanno described it 30 years after the event through his biographer, Jay Talese. You know Jay Talese. Oh, yeah, he's my neighbor down the street. I yeah, like he, in fact, he wanted to write your, your story. I'm glad you didn't do it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> anyway, anyway as, as Bill Bonanno described it, he says, we were caught in the middle of a battlefield with nowhere to go. 200 rounds are expended uh, the bad guys have the firepower, and the, the three guys have their little pop guns, their revolvers, and they're shooting over the tops of cars, you know, just for the hell of it. 200 rounds, nobody gets hit. Nobody got shot. I can't believe that. I mean, it's... Nobody got hit. Uh, 
And how do they know there were there were about eight people? Because they found seven guns. These guys just dropped the guns and took off. <laughs> but well, yeah, this they're, one, all, they're all throwaways. That's why they used to bring them yeah, in. From yeah, Canada. but you know, you think, well, time to go, guys. And can you imagine if this was the uh, if this whoever made this plan made the plan to kill Paul Castellano and Joe uh, and 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 uh, <laughs> they'd be shooting each other. No, you know, it's ridiculous. No, I mean, the, the, uh, the whole this story. Is, it's, it's, it's 283 Troutman Street in uh, Bushwick. Bushwick in, at that time was a deprived area. Now it's uh, it's been gentrified. It's totally different. Uh, but uh, they, 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 they were ambushed there. Uh, uh, seven discarded weapons. Police interviewed over 100 people who knew nothing. 100 people saw this. They'll poke their heads out the window to see what the fireworks were about because that's what they thought they were. Oh, man. They saw the entire scenario. Yeah, but like, I mean, I could understand that, too. And to have 200 witnesses on that street, that's like four tenement houses. That's all just over the yes. windows. One woman by the name of uh, Josephine Cipaneri, uh, she actually signed statements and she said what she saw, which wasn't very much. A whole bunch of guys shooting at each other. Yeah, in the middle people in doors and dog boats. Hello. Street lights, it turned out. So... Uh, there was the, the the most prolific shooting in uh, mob history. Uh, Maybe for that area. <laughs> it's not, it's, well, you know. two hundred rounds. I mean, that's a, that's that's a major shootout. Well, let me ask you a question: How many rounds do you think were fired at St. Valentine's Day massacre? I don't know. Very well organized. <laughs> Well, it's extremely well organized. I mean, they that's what I'm saying. There's all machine guns. This was every man from Anyway, I don't know why they made this one a prolific shooting. This is nothing. It's a joke. Bill Bonanno testifies before a Kings County grand jury. Kings County, for those of you who don't know, is Brooklyn. All right. Uh, and Bill recognized one of the many guns on display. The guns. He recognized a gun as belonging to uh, uh, Phil Rostelli. So he was obviously involved in the shooting. He had his own personal gun. It was a fancy gun, but oh I don't recognize God. it. Right? So that's so. This he, sounds he like a that. He doesn't. He doesn't, he doesn't like, testify. That's well. He didn't. He didn't testify to it. He just, you know, thirty years later, he's recounting this. Did David Chase write this? <laughs> they called it. They called Trauma Street the Bermuda Triangle of a Mafia War. That's that's the press. Yeah. Uh, and and as a direct result of that, uh, uh, it's time for revenge now. So uh, Joe Bonanno's group would carry out uh, the most publicized attack against the other faction, November 1967. A gunman dressed in black, very appropriate, walked into a restaurant and machine gunned three men to death. Machine I, gun? Well, I have no recollection of this at all. Do you? No. Uh, they have the date, November 67. And who wrote it? Bill Bonanno. It was, it was well. It was it was Joe Bonanno's group that was supposed to get hit, uh, and they did. And they did get hit. They, they the machine gun three of them to death. Uh, Who were they? Nobody knows. They got away with it. Uh, they also killed uh, three more people in September 1968. But they only say these people were killed because they were never seen again. They just vanished. But let me ask you a question. All all of this this is factual statements. Yeah, yeah. There's no cool. names, no bodies. Who, anybody could made this up. Uh, there was a guy named Tommy Zumo. Uh, was one of the three that vanished. Uh, but then, they, they, you know, TV just were just either associates or soldiers. Crimes of opportunity. They just shot them. Uh, anyway, they said that uh, this was the, the, the machine gunning of the three individuals in public on this scale would not be repeated until the 1972 killings of two meat company executives shot dead in the Neapolitan Noodle. Are you, you're familiar with the Neapolitan Noodle? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they, this was the, uh, the Gallo-Lumbo War now, and they thought uh, some guy named uh, Stevie Darrow, who I had a passing uh, acquaintanceship with, fingered these, uh, these three guys as Colombo uh, top echelon. Uh, Alley Boy was there that night. Oh, really? Yeah, so Darrow goes out to tell the hitman who was imported from Vegas was wearing a long shoulder-length wig. How This is how he was described. And 
Jackie Onassis sunglasses. Remember the sunglasses she used to wear? Or bigger... <laughs> he walks into the bar. In the meantime, Ali Boy and, and the, the two other guys, I don't have their names handy, got a table and sat down and were replaced by two meat company executives from Scarsdale and a theirs who were celebrating one of their birthdays with their wives. Oh, and wow. Hit. So it was an accidental hit. One of those things. One of those crazy things. Wow. Good type of song. Anyway, they kill two out of the three, severely wound the third guy. The hitman gets on the plane, goes back to Vegas. I don't think he had much of a history after that. Well, I mean, to me, it's like... I'm well, you know, let's, let's ask our expert on the mob. Megan, what do you think about this story? <laughs> I love when you throw that at me. What do I think? There's a well, whole I mean, lot to think but about. No, but I'm just saying it, it sounds so bizarre. Of course it does. I mean, to me, it only sounds like movie topics and, and book stories. But it's fascinating yeah. to me. It's fascinating how, you know, a, a hunger for power can also bring a taste for, for blood, really. Just being so willing to kill people just to to gain some sort of power from it it's really just a wild concept that i still can't quite wrap my head around no but you know and you have to understand too that the 60s the late 60s and and the 70s this wasn't that uncommon their bodies dropping all the time oh yeah i mean that was yeah yeah. but this neapolitan noodle thing uh that was the turning point uh of going after the mob giuliani wasn't around yet but he was soon to make an appearance but to kill two family men and severely wound a third uh, in a crowded Italian, this place was, I knew the Neapolitan uh, noodle, I was in it once or twice over the years, it's no longer there. But this was a small place. Yep. Do you think those guys realized as soon as it happened that they had the wrong guys? No. They watched, they're watching these, these three guys who would have been them if the, if the table wasn't open get killed they 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 were they were at the bar when 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 stevie darrow left ali boy and his two buddies were at the bar so he goes right. tells the hitman they're at the bar he tells them where they are meanwhile in that short period of time a waiter said your table's ready you know magic words saved their lives and they went got the table and these other three guys took their place just three civilians That's crazy oh, still okay. well i that can understand me. that i mean that that happens i mean yeah, somebody's telling you, here's the guy, here's the way they dress the three of them at the bar right now. You walk in, and the guy goes to the bathroom, and the other guy gets, you know, it's that. But I mean, and, and, it's just. And that, you know, and, and these were the times where, you know, you, you you went out to dinner, you dressed fairly decently. So all, all the men are in suits or sport coats. Right. So it's the three guys at the bar in the suits standing together. You know, I mean, talk about a stroke of bad luck. I mean, jeez. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, uh, so anyway, this this has to settle down. Now you you're gonna know this because I couldn't find it. Joe Bonanno was asked to retire because people don't retire from this life. No, yeah, he was go dead. He he was asked to step down, and he had the choice of going to Sicily. He wanted to stay in Arizona, and they said, "Great, you can't leave." He was exiled there and never left Arizona again. I tell you, if anybody's interested in, in uh, hearing uh, Joe Bonanno be interviewed, 60 Minutes do, did an interview about a year prior to his death, which is on YouTube. And he was the epitome of what people think the mafia is like. An old, very refined gentleman who had a thick Italian accent, he was here for 70 freaking years, still had that that thick accent, but very regal, very, uh, he, he, you know, he, the type of guy that would walk into a room and suck the air out of it. You know, all attention would be on him. And he was interviewed on 60 Minutes for 20 minutes because he had a book, Honor Thy Father. But not only that, his stature and his wealth. But to talk, why did he talk? Why did he give an interview to 60 Minutes? That's what everybody else wanted to know. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> but I tell you, it's, it, it's on YouTube. If anyone wants to see it, uh, you know, just go on a site and find it. Uh, he was very impressive. Anyway, he, he wound up uh, dying in... Uh, 2002, young man, 97 years old, and he left us. Yeah. Yeah, he just, uh, I mean, Tucson, as I said, I was there three or four times. I wouldn't, I mean, I'd rather go to Sicily. It's more fun, <laughs> first of all. 
What well, the he heck? Had, well, you I, I recall uh, him showing uh, the, the film crew and the reporter, whoever it was, around his spread. He had a nice... Oh, no, I, we had a ranch house type of thing, <laughs> spread. Yeah, but I mean, who would have wanted? His son, Bill, the college graduate... Lived uh, down the block. One of spending 11 years in prison. He, he, he moved with his dad to Tucson. And he stayed in the house after his father died in 2002. He passed away in 2008. And uh, he was 75. That's and, amazing uh, to me. That was the end of it. Uh, 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 Gaspar de uh, easy for me to say, Gregorio, died in uh, 1970. Uh, and and it, as far as mafia history goes, it is said by the press that there was uh, never something on the scale of what happened on Troutman Street. With so many men involved in a shootout over that that period of time. But they and, should give it another well, title. The most ridiculous shootout. Yeah, life. yeah. Let's just say, you know, Jimmy Breslin. Because nobody was hit, right? Nobody, nobody was hit. Was nobody. You know. Uh, <laughs> 200 I, I bullets. Know, I, I think they hurt Bill Bonanno's feelings. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's as far as, as it got. Uh, but, you know, it's more interesting to me is not that I know this for a fact, but I, I do read the newspapers. We all did. There was another roundup of the Bonanno family just recently. Yeah, hundred. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I mean, I mean, again, I don't know them. I don't have any disrespect for anybody in it. I know, you know, just want to clarify myself. I know nobody in the Bonanno family anymore. I didn't know it still existed, and I was shocked, like you, when you heard that. It's the smallest family, yes. I I don't know. I'm no, I, I didn't know they had a hundred members that they could round up. Yeah, they were when I was around in the seventies. They had like 80, 80 members, as I recall. No, that's what I'm saying. So there's a job bigger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they they expanded, I yeah. guess. But uh, you know, I look back at those days. I, you know, anything in 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 anybody's history is always the good old days. You know, I mean, I used to bounce around the east side and run into these people all the time. I missed that hit in Alibaba by 10 minutes. Remember oh, that? my God, yeah. Uh, there was a guy named Rabbit uh, they were after that night. And he actually took refuge under the piano, like that's going to save him. And the guy who, there must have been 200 people in there, and everybody saw it, and they, they, they killed him, and I showed up 10 minutes later. I mean, this it was a whole different world back then. There was You expected this to go on a lot. It doesn't happen anymore, thankfully so. Yeah. Mm. Well, like you pointed out earlier, I mean, once when Giuliani became the the DA, forget to being the mayor, and then he had the backing of Robert Kennedy as Attorney General, they they wanted to suffocate them all. Even well, he didn't hit Giuliani didn't hit his stride until the early '80s, and he had the uh, you know the, the commission case. Of course, we don't, we don't know what that is. Uh, the, the members, the heads of the five families, went to prison for the rest of their lives. Yeah, that's when they um, that's when they invoked the uh, RICO Act. Yeah, then the but RICO's been around since '72. Only I know, they for, but they, they never forgot, really yeah, used it. <laughs> they didn't know it was there, and so and Giuliani said, "Hey, let's let's see what this thing is about." And they started. <laughs> well, I couldn't I, believe that. For our audience, for our audiences that is not used, uh, not not familiar with the RICO Act, the RICO Act was created for an ongoing enterprise. Enterprise. And why people in the mob years ago would say I could do 10 years on my head because they'd go to jail, their wives still lived in the same houses, their wives still got the envelope that was supposed to come every Saturday to take care of them. But as soon as the RICO Act came in and you got convicted on it, then they would start going through your family tree and say, how did you buy this house? Uh, 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 gone. They take the house. They take everything, bank yeah. accounts. If you couldn't, you couldn't prove where the money came from, and you didn't pay income tax on it. It was eradicated, and that's when everybody started flipping. And that was and, and not only that, that, that was yeah, the, the mob. The sentences were draconian. You oh got convicted. God, yeah. Yes, you, you can't do that on your head. You got to have a flat head after a while. I mean, a hundred years. <laughs> oh a yeah. Long time. Oh no, the, that's what I'm. Oh, the years were like. 
compound from what they were getting. No, but it. Um... That's what made Giuliani, and uh, as everybody knows, he uh, wound up self-destructing a few years ago. But uh, oh my God, uh, he, he was he was the man. He was the man. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you for bringing this wonderful, funny story uh, <laughs> about the mob. <laughs> <laughs> you know, gotta inject a little humor into this thing they call the mafia. You yeah. know, when that you can. I wanted to be a stand-up comic, and my act would be I was a hitman, and I would tell funny stories. There you go. And I don't think that would go over well. I'm going to give it a try when I retire. When I get old. You know what it wouldn't be? It wouldn't have been a hit. It's time to earn some money. Let's do a commercial and come back. to One of the, my favorite parts of this show is the mailbag. We'll be right back. Today's show is being sponsored by Cordelione Fine Italian Food Products. This sponsor really means a lot to me. Cordelione Fine Italian has taken the heart and soul of the Godfather films and created a line of food products that include pasta sauce, balsamic vinegar from Modena, Italy, Genco extra virgin olive oil from Sicily. They created delicious pasta sauces, marinade, tomato basil, arrabbiato, and my favorite, Clemenza's meat sauce. You will be amazed. You will think your grandmother made the sauce herself. CordeleoneFineItalian.com. That's CordeleoneFineItalian.com. All right, we're back. Give us some cards and letters. And, All and right, let's get to it. Life. First we have is from Joe. Joe says, Gianni, several episodes back, you mentioned there was a difference in the initiation ceremonies between Sicilians and Calabrese. I'm from Toronto. My parents are from Puglia, and I grew up around both Sicilians and Calabrese. We've heard so much from popular culture about the Sicilians, but next to nothing about the Calabrese. What can you share about what makes the Calabrese mob unique? Cheers. And potheads. Not, no, not only that, though. You can't find out anything about them. <laughs> They're still a very honor, honorable, quiet, the way it should be. They realize it's a secret organization. Yeah. yeah. That's what I, I mean, I only know Sicilian people. I know, you know, I don't know anybody in other mobs or, you know, or maybe I do and I don't know who they are. But I, I couldn't answer that question other than that's what I, I know of. All right. Next is from Bill. Bill says, Gianni, what do you miss most about Las Vegas? Are you planning on going back anytime soon? I miss the 60s, 70s, and 80s of Vegas, and I'm not going back unless they're going to go turn the clock back. What's down there now is nothing that I'm being even attracted to. I don't even know what showrooms I'd go to. It's Disneyland. Yeah, and, I, and I, I'm used to going, knowing the maitre d' and getting the right table in King's Row, and now you get a ticket and you sit down like in a theater. It's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I mean, and I don't plan on going back for the you end can't of grease anybody for a good. You can't grease anybody for a good table? They do it theater style. They don't do that anymore. Oh, it's already that. Yeah, hello. Yeah. It's got to be fair. It's 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 run by corporations. Who likes fair? Money talks. It's mm -hmm. Vegas. That's when Vegas was great. I'm, I'm going to start crying here in a minute. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. Next is from Zachary. Zachary says, as someone who presumably has made a lot of money in his life, do you have any general advice on how to be financially actualized these days? Also, was recently in Las Vegas for a couple weeks. Do you have a favorite hotel there presently? That, that, that question is obviously for me. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> definitely for you. But I will, I will, I will defer to you. No, I mean, no, I thought it was for you also. I mean, I didn't make a lot of money. <laughs> oh yeah. No, but the um, mm -hmm. there probably I still favor Caesar's Palace. I don't know why. I got to like it. When we left the sands to go over there, to me, it just, you know, the Bellagio came close and it was right across the way where the old dunes was. But I, I never really went to the wind. They tell me that's good, the Encore. I don't like them. They're just too big now. 
I liked when they were small rooms, small casinos, and now they're huge. I mean, I, I, there's nothing about Las Vegas that would attract me to go back. I used to like to stay at the frontier, believe it or not, because it was small. Yeah, that, well, that's similar to what you're saying. And the frontier had good acts, and the Supreme, yeah. I know everybody that was there. There was, there was I mean, there were, I don't, I don't like it. It's so huge. It's huge. I mean, but uh, you know, I'd go back if they give me twenty five, thirty thousand for the weekend to perform. That's how I go back. Other than that, check is in the mail, man. <laughs> All right. Next is from Nicholas. Nicholas says, hey, Gianni, I was wondering if you had any stories about Kansas City family or any of the Savella family. I love the Savella family. Have we, didn't we answer this question before? Butchie well, Savella. Like oh, yeah, Butchie Savella was, I was very close to Butchie and, uh, you know, his family, his uncle Corky and Nicky and them, they ran. They were very powerful. In fact, they, I don't know how they got control of the uh, Teamsters pension plan, but they you had to get okayed by them to get a loan from the pension plan. So, and it's, uh, and that, I think they orchestrated the demise. I don't know why I have this idea of Jimmy Hoffa not making it, going back into his position after he found God in prison. But uh, the Savella family was a very well-organized family. Next. All right. Next is from Lisa. Lisa says, Gianni, when was the last time you spoke with Al Pacino? What's your relationship like today? I don't speak to Al a lot. When I see him, I talk to him. I called him recently about something just because we hadn't both had an interest. I wanted to see what he thought about it. No, I mean, Al, you know, Al is, has his three daughters now. And, um, all I know is he's staying devoted to his career, and that's it. I mean, Al is Al. I mean, he's such a great actor, and he's constantly working. At 83? Yep. He's yep. doing a TV series called Hunter right now. He just wow. finished uh, the whole thing on um, Lady Gaga played her. Uh, oh, the brother got killed. What's the, the designer. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, he was killed in in Florida. Um, I can't think is, of it is either. Is it Versace? Gianni no, Versace. I think it's it was Gucci. No, not Gucci, no way. Oh, not not Gucci, Versace. Gianni Versace. Versace. Yeah, Johnny Versace it was. Oh, okay. Well, the the show is called House of Gucci, so that's why. Well, maybe I was... he's not, maybe he's playing Gucci then. Oh, oh, yeah, they're they're doing a biopic on the entire family. A lot of scandal in that family. Yeah, oh my God, yeah. yeah this, this has nothing to do with the mob or anybody dying. It's about uh, financial shenanigans. Right. Yeah. Well, I think one of the grandsons was, was kidnapped. I don't know if it was by the mob. And they sent the grandfather the kid's ear. But he still didn't pay for him. Hmm. But anyway. No, but Al is still working. And he has a TV series called Hunter. Yeah, I saw the first season. Very good. He plays a uh, Nazi hunter who, t who turned out to be the Nazi. Right. I'm just what they're going to do in the second season. Yeah, but I mean, so he's working constantly. As as Bobby De Niro's not stop working. But it's all good. Okay. Good for them. All right, I think we have time for one more. This last one is from Matthew. Matthew says, Gianni, have you ever met Joey Merlino? Any uh, Joey? No. <laughs> I knew of him, never met him, though. And can I ask him why? Why does he want to know? <laughs> He's a, those who don't know, he's a Philadelphia mob guy who took over the family because everybody else was dead, basically. Right. Uh, he, he's had his trouble with the law in Florida. You know, we had a guest on the show, Mike Russell. Remember Mike Russell? The undercover cop in Jersey? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He made he made uh, uh, Skinny Joey his target for years. He, he'd follow him around and harass him. Uh, Joey hated him. <laughs> well, I both lived in Florida. Yeah, he used, to, he used to harass the hell out of Molino. He loved doing it. Yeah. He was a good looking guy, That's though. Funny. I know that. He's a very stylish yeah. guy, too. Skinny Joe. Skinny Joe. Well, that, All right. that is it. I hate to have these shows end. Now, what am I going to do the rest of the night? Anyway. Uh, they don't count your money. 
I don't have to go home. I'm here already. No, but, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but we are so grateful for you sending in the letters and keep them coming. Tell your friends. We need more yes. reviews. We're having fun with it. We're going in, what, our fourth season, Megan? Oh, we're like way past. I think it's like the eighth season. We're way past four oh, at this really? point. God bless. Yeah. Well, listen. 100, about 140 shows, right? This is episode 140, exactly. Wow, happy anniversary to us. Okay. Well, thank you all. And and Pat, and I know Megan and I, we enjoy doing it. Obviously, you all are still listening. Tell friends, expand the audience, and keep the letters coming and the requests. We'll fill them in. We would love it. Yeah, you give us show ideas. We love that. Yep. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night, guys. So long. Bye-bye. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. I'll be around. I'll be around.